Hi everyone and welcome to Cooking Goals. You're listening to The Cooks. And here we talk to motivated people who are actually doing something, following their passion, how they got to where they are and their goals for the future. The aim of this podcast is to inspire people to create goals for themselves, to push towards and surpass them. Whether it be small goals like running a four minute kilometre or big goals like owning a home, I want this space to be somewhere people can come for inspiration, to listen in on a great conversation, hopefully learn something and in the process create goals for the future. Today we talk to Brad Travis from Composter Australia, a worm farm and garden all in one. How are you Brad? Good man, how are you? Yeah good, you got your coffee by your side ready to go? Yep, kicking in the caffeine. Long black or you got some milk going? Uh, it's actually um, just a short, what do you call it, flat white. Oh yeah, how good. Machine wise or just homemade, bit, bit of Makona? Yeah, I've got a little um, Italian espresso machine that you just put on the gas stove. Yeah, I've got one of those as well. I love it. I use it every yeah, morning. Right. It's so good. I've got to be careful because I know I'm having like 15 coffees in a day. It tastes amazing. I, I can't like, like my girlfriend got me one and I'm obsessed with it every day. It's like, bang, that's the first yeah. thing that goes on. It's so good. Yeah, that's simple. Now, I'd like to start the podcast by telling people how we first met. So I actually met your wife first at, um, at Karma Collab uh, back in 2019. And then yep. came to pick up my very own composter, and you kindly gave me some worms and stuff about a year ago now, just before all this mess happened, um, which I still have today, and it's going great. Yep. So um, that's kind of, I guess, how we met. And we kind of spoke for like another like two hours, I think. We were just bouncing ideas off each other, which was awesome. Yeah, that was very good. And um, I, thanks again for coming on. Like, I really do appreciate it. Like, it's, um, it's a good time to have a conversation, especially with something that you're passionate about as well as what you know, I'm interested in as well. So... Uh, thanks again. No, it's all good. I'm loving it. So, so where did this all start, Brad? So, can you tell us, I guess, your background and then what you were doing before this venture, as well as then how you did how you did a full transition into working full time in your own business? Yeah, well, um, it's a long story, but I'll try to give you the short version. But my career was mainly in horticulture and in greenkeeping, and we're talking back in the nineties and. Um, worm liquid or worm pea was getting really popular as a um, soil conditioner and where I was working at the time my boss was buying like a 20 litre drum of worm pea a week and it was $250 a drum Jesus that's huge I'm like man that's like easy cash right there Mm. at the same time the uh, little Chinese restaurant that we had in the club they were throwing out all their food waste every day so I quickly read up on um, worm farming and how to convert that stuff into fertilizer. And I was really lucky because my boss let me build like a two square meter worm farm in the greenkeeper shed. So when it was raining or whatever, or a, you know, half hour a day, I'd play around with that. And I started getting this worm farm cranking. And then the worms created this beautiful black soil and all these lovely seedlings started growing in the soil like your tomatoes and your pumpkins and wow. cucumbers. It's like... Just, just in the waste. Were they just growing in the waste? Correct. In yeah, the wow. black worm poo. And then I was reading up on it, and it's like the, worm, the black worm poo is the best thing on the planet. And I was pretty well amazed that I created something so beneficial from waste. Mm. And that kind of stayed in my mind. And then I was supplying the club with the worm liquid, but I was kind of doing it for free. 
but that stayed in my mind and then you go and do other you choose other career paths and I was doing epoxy flooring for a while which was cool but it wasn't really making me that happy or fulfilled and then I think the um, GFC hit and money became tight and I decided to do a entrepreneurial course through the NICE program. Yep. You had to commit for 12 months. And um, I remember the interview on day one, I had to go sit for an interview to get accepted. And I had, I had about five different ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I had all these crazy ideas all sketched out. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, I thought they were all pretty good ideas. And so I had the interview and the lady mentor said, you're going to do this one which was the worm farm. Mm. I'm like, okay, why am I going to do this one? And she goes, because there's nothing else like it, like on the market. Mm. I'm like, right, out, cool. So then I started my 12 months studying how to get this product manufactured and off the ground and took it from there. And I came out the other end and I got stuffed around by a manufacturer Mm. that made it really difficult to make a profit. And I got a bit disheartened, but I knew I was on a good thing. Yeah. So I rang, I rang some um, plastic suppliers, and they just said, if you're making the same product all day, every day, learn to make it yourself. So then I literally spent like another eight months learning how to make a roto molding machine. No. Yeah, and um, learned to make them myself from scratch. And that was pretty exciting when you look back on it. Yeah. Teaching yourself how to do anything is amazing, especially when you get to it and you're in that, you yeah. get to that end stage, you go, look how far I've come. Yeah, and I think that's the, uh, the, beauty, the beauty in it because you're just learning new skills that you didn't have before mm. and you're not relying on other people. Yeah. So if you can organise to do it yourself, you're only answerable to yourself. You mm. don't have any, like, any threats <clears throat> where someone can increase the price and then you lose your profit. Yeah. So the best thing you can do is learn to make it yourself. That's amazing. What yeah. happened next? What happened next? Mm. Um, I was having happy days because I was going selling these things at the weekend markets and I was also working during the week. And then um, I decided to get married and have a child. And I just thought maybe I'm, I'm under something good here. Mm. I should see how far I can take this. Little Charlotte came along, and I thought it's a good opportunity to see what we can make from it. Yeah, so I um, stepped everything up a lot and I bought some beautiful injection molds. And now, um, literally, we can make like 500 a day, whereas my machine could only make eight a day. Yeah, so now we have the capacity to start filling like big box retailers. Mm. In Australia, New Zealand, possibly overseas. That's so, amazing. It's like like yeah. full full grassroots to then you know you know top shelf at Bunnings. It's amazing. Yeah, correct. But um, when I was starting off at grassroots, I was I was um aware like not to spend too much money. I built the uh, roto molding machine as well. Yeah. If you go buy one, you're probably looking at like twenty grand. Jeez. Whereas I I built one that would actually get the job done. That probably only cost, I don't know, $500. Yeah, wow. And uh, the mouldings I couldn't do, but I'd done all the, um, the patterns and the shape and everything that I needed. And I sent that off to a foundry 
and he gave me a beautiful set of aluminium molds. And that was only like a few thousand dollars. So how big is this rotor machine, like a garage? It was in a single garage. Yeah. I was out the back of um, Gold Coast hinterland in a tin shed, and this thing would be cranking at about 180 degrees. And it cooks it for um, 25 minutes, and then it cools down for 25 minutes. And then you got one, bang. Uh, two. Two. I made it so um, there's like a mirror image of everything in the moulds. Yeah. So when you pulled it apart, you just chopped them in half, and you've got two. And this is the exact same design as it is now? Um, the new design's probably a bit better. Mm. A bit bigger in the centre, but the new design has a lot better finish. Mm. Because um, injection moulds, they literally can do anything you want. And the finish is just a hundred percent. Yeah, I was gonna say you're not sitting there with a um like a hacksaw trying to cut this thing in half. Yeah, correct. You yeah. to chop them up with an angle grinder. Yeah. And then you'd have to go back and buff where you've just been cutting it. Yeah, yeah. Because it obviously looks so bad, so then you'd have to go back and try and make it look nice. Yeah. With heat guns and stuff. That's where I was losing all my time. Yeah, I was gonna say cool skills though, like a like a you know hands on things that you know a lot of people probably won't ever get to the chance to do or to learn or um, unless they yeah. are interested or apply themselves. You know, like you must have an amazing feeling when you just got one even. And it's like yeah, this yeah. this this works. Like how good? Yeah, I remember the first day I went to the markets and sold them, and um, I took my little niece. She was only probably I don't know nine or ten at the time, and she's like climbing the trees down at um, Broad Beach. And I wasn't even sure whether I'd sell one or not. Up until then, it was just like a, a theory, you know what I mean? Yeah. And on that day, I think I sold seven. And I remember how stoked I was that people actually parted with their money for these things. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was kind of inspiring. It's like, yeah, keep pushing forward and keep making it better and stick with it. It's just been going up and up since then. And how long ago was that now? That would have been probably six or seven years ago. Yeah, wow, now you're in full operation, all you. Yeah. How do you go not having anyone else at the moment? Do you think we have to get someone on in, in the long haul? or? Um, I wouldn't mind getting someone on to help with um, like the social media and stuff. Yeah. Because that's very time consuming. Mm. Just to put a you know, plan in place to try and generate you know, interest through mm. social media. Yeah. Um, apart from that, it's doing pretty good because I just handle the small orders um, at the warehouse at Burley and anything large, when the pallet orders come in, I was lucky to find a company in Brisbane called Help Industries. Yeah. And they do a pretty good job. And so they and do they, the exact same thing you do, but just on a larger scale. Correct. Yeah, wow. And they, they got like 400 people on their books. Whoa. They can call up when they want. That's you. Um, yeah, and the good thing with help, you're supporting kids and adults that um, are like a little bit challenged or struggling mm. in society. Yeah. They're learning new skills as well. So it's just win-win, and I'm really happy that I found them. Yeah, because, you know, you can, get, you can get as many people as you need, but if it's not providing them with what they need, you know, which is, you know, food, money to put on the table and... Well, they're yeah, also correct. learning new skills as well, so it's great because you're helping someone else as well as helping yourself. Yeah, it's awesome. And you go up there and everyone's so happy. You yeah. walk through the door and everyone's happy to see you. Yeah. 
thought, man, this place has got a good vibe. Or I was with another um, career and like fulfillment agency, and they just weren't that happy. They seemed a little bit miserable. Yeah. Which is a bit of a downer, you know what I mean? Of course. And so do you give them like a, an SOP, like of how this should be built or packaged, and they just do it? Yeah. I went and had a meeting and just showed them what had to be done, and I try to simplify it. I try to keep everything really simple. Mm. And um, it's probably only like four steps. Well, I actually got a question here. It's like, it even says, you know, it's not even a question really, but like it's super easy to put together and very straightforward to use. Like, was this something that was really key to its design? Like, I think yeah. when you grab it, it's like, you know, I'll get you to describe the product in a moment, but it's like, obviously the base, your legs, got some rocks, you're ready to go. Like, Yeah. I try to keep it really simple because um, I just noticed if you do more than like three steps that someone has to do something, they'll lose interest. Gone. Uh, and um, it's probably more of a sales point of view as well. Like when you're trying to sell something, if that's got eight or nine or ten steps to it, people are like, man, it's too hard. And it's really hard to get sales. Yeah. I just like totally simplified everything and I made it just as easy as using like a rubbish bin, which I think everyone is capable of doing. Yeah. So it's like using a rubbish bin and remembering to water it. And that's as hard as it gets. Yeah, wow. That's insane. That's such a good outlook as well. Like, if you can make it as simple as possible, like, you're going to get the the easy uptake, you know what I mean, with those early adopters right. and things like that. And then people are like, oh, this is pretty... People who aren't gardeners or people who aren't composters will be like, oh, boom. Like, I can... They might be interested in sustainability, but not know where to go. And they find your product, which is great. Yeah, a lot of stuff's really um, confusing out there. Oh, like, yeah. Just composting in the backyard, people get really confused by it, and they don't. And when they get confused, and if they don't have success, they give up. Yeah. yeah. I was like gonna say I've done the same thing. Pardon? I was gonna say I've done the same thing, just giving up, and like, oh shit, not, nah, I've ruined yeah. this, you know. Too hard. Yeah. And then you got to wait six months until you get inspired again, and dig it out and give it another go. Yeah, it's literally digging it out and going, all right, see what can we do now, you know. Yeah, start again. I'll get you to explain the design of the product and like and how you did it, I guess, as well. Like, How many iterations did you go through? Did we just get it first bang? Um, I've done a few sketches. I had the first model because what I was working on was mainly the drainage system, which has to distribute the nutrients that are made by the worms. Mm. So that was on my mind a lot. And the first one I designed was quite huge. And then I thought, because I hadn't sold any before, I thought this is going to be way too big to ship around Australia. Yeah. But the shipping fees are so high. And it's like the, the um, technique and the process is really good, but I just need to condense it, make it a bit smaller. And I was lucky because when you're making the, um, they call it the patterns, you're making the patterns for the moulds. So you have to make an exact replica of what you want. And I hired a shed at Burley because it was all uh, fiberglass work, so it was quite smelly. And I think the beauty of that, because I work a little bit slow, you could actually look at it every day and just figure out whether it would work 100% or not. Mm. Instead of just slapping something together in a week and then finding out like you could have done better. Mm. So I remember when I was in the um, I was in the shed and I was just designing it and I was with plaster and everything and you just look at it and you go yeah like this is how i want it 
I think that was the um, beauty of doing it that way. Yeah, I really like that video with the purple water that you've got, and you can actually yeah. see how the like the water doesn't just hit it and splash. It literally yeah. spills over and distributes around the whole cylinder before yeah. be, before being drained. Like it's amazing. Correct. Yeah, and that's that's what um that's like the key to its success. Yeah. It's not just drain straight out the hole. Because it's a huge base there, so it can. I guess I'll get you to describe you know what it looks like for people who, who have never seen one or. Oh, I guess, yep. yeah, how it even works as well. Yeah. Well, it's just a, um, it's a round pot, 52 centimetres across, and it's 12 centimetres deep. It's quite large, and it has a centre canister, which is kind of like the feeding station where you're going to place your scraps. So, and in that canister, there's holes. So your kitchen scraps going down the, your kitchen scraps are going down the canister, and the compost worms are going in through those holes, feeding on the kitchen scraps, and they're slowly converting it into lovely fertilizer. And because of that drainage system, the center canister drains to the outside, which is probably nutrients by that stage, mm. and it lets the plants suck up the nutrients by their roots before it drains out the hole. So it's, it's a pretty good design because it drains slow so there's always moisture in the bottom. Yeah. These things are designed to sit on patios and balconies where it's quite windy and dry. So I designed it to slow down the actual drainage and um, the plants just love it. Yeah, I've got a few geraniums in mine and um, I'm not sure what the other thing is, but they've grown like, they've like tripled in size since I got them. Like, and, yeah. and they might not have um, a huge amount of say like worm tea or worm juice, but that's not, I'm not, I'm not even there to grow for it. I'm just there to have pretty flowers to look at, you know? Yeah, and I just get surprised awesome. when I see a flower. I'm like, oh, how good. You know, I've done that just by yeah. reducing my banana peels. And like, Correct. it's amazing. And, and the beauty of it, like, you're providing the best fertilizer. It's what plants want. It's what they get in nature. Like, it's not synthetic. It's not fake. It's just, you're just converting your waste into a benefit. And that's, yeah, that's in terms of my PhD, like, it's just, it's very clear and it's like it's been around for so long why don't we do it do you know what i mean why isn't it just you know wide community council uptake um you know, mandatory even you know to reduce our food waste as well yeah it's slowly it's slowly becoming more popular i know down um ballina the council collects food waste because they're realizing there's money in it now oh yeah and there's so much of it like it's ridiculous like 1.3 billion tons a year across the world like even, you know, if you're listening, you're at home tonight making dinner or wherever you are, think about your lunch or work today. Like, did you eat it all? Did you throw it out? Like, I don't, I don't, my only off-cut is my vegetable and fruit peelings, which actually go to the composter. I don't have any, yeah. like, I might have packaging and tin and plastic, but I don't have any food waste besides off-cuts. Yeah, that's good. Has it, good. has it changed you, how you work at home with your type of food and stuff as well? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because uh, I think... Because I was doing the um, the market rounds and everything, you get exposed to, I don't know, I guess, new ideas and stuff. Mm. And it just rubs off on you after a while. So yeah, I, when I'm shopping, I'd rather just buy like whole foods. Yeah. I very rarely buy stuff in, you know, packets unless it's like breakfast cereal or something. Yeah. That you can escape. But I just stick to the fruit and veggie section. Yeah, definitely. So, 
That's literally all you need, man. It's amazing, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm usually, I think I'm the same. My packaging or my waste may be from like pasta or cereal or like cans of beans, and that's about it, really. The rest is like, oh, and tofu, but the rest is all just fruit and veg, like, and yeah, yeah and, and, or bread. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I go shopping, I literally just walk down two aisles, and that's it. Done. I mean, you get your fruit and veg, then you got to walk up the other end to get your milk, and I'm done. And are you, are you, are you, are you your, your family vegetarian or? Uh, no, but um, my mum's diabetic. Yeah. She was a well, so we're just kind of aware what food is. Yeah. We just stay away from junk and sugar. Whole grain carbohydrates are the best. Pardon? Like those whole grain carbohydrates, like you said, like cereal, you know, pasta, breads, like none of this, yeah. uh, you know, no, no fruit loops. <laughs> Crazy, man. Like since it's got colder, We've been having porridge in the morning. Yeah. And I think like three days into it, it's bizarre. I've got like 20% more energy. Yeah, it's an amazing product. You know, you get a whole grain thing like porridge. It provides you, you know, fiber, keeps you fuller for longer throughout the day. It's a low yeah. low release of energy, slow slow release of energy, sorry, compared to yeah. like a, um, you know, a bottle of cornflakes. It's going to be completely different, uh, obviously, physiological function, but also how you function in the day as well. Yeah, correct. You don't want to be getting those sugar highs. Nah, not, not, at, not at six o'clock in the morning, no way, because you crash by nine when you're out. Yeah, and then you have a sugar low, get grumpy. You don't need that. No, and you would experience your mum like that as well when she's high and low and you are shit, we're in trouble here. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit harder for her. She has to watch her um, insulin and blood sugars. It's but, cool. It's really cool but, when they get onto it, though. It's very it's, it's very science-heavy for, for, you know, for people who aren't educated and who... Uh, have diabetes like it's a great way for them to learn about the body and everything like it's huge yeah totally and can, can you expand what it feels like to grow from something like a small market or broad beach to what you're telling me just before you know obviously you're in bunnings now and you're going on to bigger and better things more and more composters all the time like what's is is there is there a stopping point or do you, do you feel like you want to keep going like what's uh what are the feelings that you have um just excitement mm. when when um when you do a deal with bunnings it's just it's a little it's like 10 seconds of relief and going oh you know like thank god made it but then stress kicks in <laughs> which, is good, which is a good thing it's a good motivator to get off your butt and make it happen but um it's probably just excitement like i started doing the markets again on a saturday just for fun yeah and I literally still get the same buzz when I sell a pot at the markets. And then um, people are like, oh, we can't get one today, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. They're available in Bunnings as well. <laughs> people are like blown away. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing here? And it's like, oh, I don't live over the hill. I'm just coming down here to have a coffee and a bit of breakfast and hang out. Yeah, hang out, yeah. talk to people, talk to locals. And it even helps get it out. You know, people are still surprised to see it. You know, at the markets, that means that it's still, you know, obviously even in its infancy as well, even though it's in Bunnings, it's still got that, that wide reach that it can potentially go to as well. Yeah, correct. It's got a, it's got a long way to go yet. This is only like the tip of the iceberg. Because if COVID hadn't hit, I probably would have been looking at more overseas stuff. Yeah. But we just have to wait for COVID to settle down. And just a single product for now? Um, I've got a couple of other things on the drawing board mm. that I'm working on. Yeah. But 
yeah, just a single one for now. Yeah, do one, do it right, and then yeah, do that distribution just, and stuff. Yeah, and I've just got to be careful, like, you don't lose focus. Because, mm. like, compost is still going good now, and people like it. So, probably need to stay focused on that for a bit longer. And not spread myself too thin. Yeah, it's like the shiny ball analogy. It's like everyone goes for, like, the biggest jelly bean in the jar. But there's all these yeah. other pretty ones that you could grab for too. It's like just focus on the big one, get that, yeah. and do that first. Yeah. yeah, the other products are just more like a backup in case anything ever happens, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, once I'm dealing with the big retailers now, it's nice to offer them something else as well. Well, yeah, definitely. And that, that you know, obviously if they see the compost are doing well, they're like, oh, you know, Brad knows what he's talking about. So, just designing bizarre stuff. Bizarre works, though. If it's different, it catches people's attention as well, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's nice. Luckily, things are changing. People are, like, open to composting, and most things, people are looking at looking for something a little bit different instead of the ordinary. And, like, green and houseplants and stuff are super popular now as well. Yeah, it's good, man. Now, moving on to, like, I guess, the, I guess it, is, it is gardening, basically, isn't it? So... Like, why do people have so much struggle with, with gardening in general? Um, I'm not sure. I think probably they just need to learn the basics, and they probably never learnt it. Learnt it, but it's mainly just like soil health. You got to make sure your soil is healthy. That's like ninety five percent of it. Like if you're growing out in your yard or whatever, just work on the soil, and everything else will flourish. And I guess if you're talking pot plants, just make sure your pot plants are happy and like the potting mix isn't too dry and you're um, giving them nutrients like once a month because because they're stuck in a pot, they can't just put their roots out somewhere and suck up more nutrients. So you probably have to look after them a little bit more. But I think once people um, experience a bit of success, even on a small scale, it just inspires them to keep going whether it's like growing a marigold or growing a tomato, whatever. But yeah, I think just work on the soil, make the soil healthy. So how do you know when it's good? Or like, how do you know if you've got bad soil? Is it, is it a pick up and smell or is it a, how would you know? Um, well, you'd know by like putting a pitchfork in it, like if it's really hard and that pitchfork will only go in like one inch, you're kind of in trouble. Yeah. Um, good idea is just to open it up a bit, do a pH test, just to make sure your pH is neutral, which is really easy to do. That's just like a um, like a little litmus paper test. Um, make sure your pH is good, and then just start adding organic material, like coffee grounds, cardboard, whatever, anything organic, and the soil is going to love it. Yeah. So you probably have to do that. Get it prepped for probably two to three months. And then all the microbes will be cranking. And the microbes are what give you good soil health by just keeping the soil friable. And if it's clay soils, they make it more um, crumbly texture. So the clay will be a lot better to grow plants in. And if it's sandy soil, the um, organic material will help it retain moisture. And that's lit it could be anything, anything organic and your soil is gonna benefit. And so is that as easy as just burying it in the backyard or is it a bit more, you have to be a bit more safer than that? 
Um, it depends what you want to do. There's different ideas. Um, you can you can bury it in the backyard. A lot of permaculture people they don't like turning the soil over because it oxidizes. So you kind of do you can do a no dig garden style where you just dump it all on top and maybe cover it with like sugarcane mulch or cardboard. And that weighs a little bit slower because you're not actually getting into the soil. So you probably have to wait like four or five months. And then you come back and all that stuff will be rotting down and it's rotted down into the soil. And that's as hard as it gets. Yeah, my grandfather. You, sorry, you go. Sorry, and once you start growing your plants in the soil, like you might grow a mad crop of tomatoes and they finish and you got to rip them out. And just the process of ripping the tomatoes out, you're probably getting 20 centimetres down into the soil and you're turning it over anyway. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you start using the soil, it'll get better. Yeah, I was going to say, my grandfather, he had he had quite a sandy backyard and yep. he... Like it was just amazing what he could grow, and I, we just always took our food base and he'd dump it in there, and it, like he'd grow an eggplant in like a day. Like it was just ridiculous how good it was. And I, whenever I went to visit, he was um, it would always be growing something different. I'm like, what's going on here? And he goes, I just rip, as soon as it's done, rip it out, pull it back down, and because he was using it, and it was just turnover. And it would just would just love everything. Like it just, yeah. you, like looking under there would be like a bloody maze. I think of just roots of everything. Correct. All the, all the health and the happiness is in the soil. And like when your grandfather rips those plants out, you just chop them up and put them back on the soil. Yeah. And that becomes organic material again. Yeah, it was amazing what he put in there, like um, anything really, you know, and the most some of the most beautiful food you'd get ever for that home gardening, you know, compared to, and I think I've watched a video of you and Costa today and he said, you know, something that's great about the composter is it's like, it's garden to plate. It's none of this, you know, the footsteps that you take out in terms of carbon footprint is huge. Yeah, totally. Try to make it really easy to use. And you're right. So how about keeping the worms alive? I think a lot of people struggle with that. There's, you know, there's a bunch of uh, aisles at Bunnings with the 500 worms, 1,000 worms. Um, why do people run into problems with that? Um, I'm not sure. I think the common problem is people might forget, like in the composter, they might forget to water it. And then you have a hot day and the worms might get a little bit of heat stroke or something. Mm. Um, but apart from that, they're pretty resilient. I've never really had a problem with them. And I brutalize my worms just to see how what they can handle. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good mix. Like, um, not so much cardboard going into compost because cardboard should be recycled. But just stuff like um, brown leaves and everything. Like, you got to emulate like a rainforest floor. That's where the compost worms come from. Yeah. So the more brown leaves you can put in there, crumble them up so they can decompose and just a mixture of waste and the worms will love it. And just Even if you've got a typical worm farm, like the black one, you still should be putting water, water over it. Mm. Like Fortnite, give it a bit of water, which simulates rain. And that way you don't get any... Um, toxins or anything building up or nutrients going through the roof. Because I think sometimes the worms freak out with that as well, with the acidity of some um, vegetables and fruits. Mm. As long as you're watering it, you're kind of washing out the system all the time. You, you did mention about giving, I guess, nutrition to your plants every month or so. Is that some sort of um, like a dynamic lifter or something like that? Is that what you meant? 
could be for manure. Depends how organic you want to go. Mm. If you can get like sheep manure or something, that's always good. Coffee grounds are good. They're high in nitrogen. But um, your sea soles and all them, they're good as well. Yeah. And that's I what, think with, sorry, you go. I think with the compost stuff, because it's so condensed, you don't really need that much fertiliser. Mm. But if you're growing in the backyard, it's a good idea just to give it a little tonic once a month, a top up. And so with your background in gardening, obviously, we, I guess, sorry, in horticulture, were you doing much gardening and, and I guess, experimentation before the composter came through? Um, yes, I was. Um, I moved up to the Goldie and I had a little townhouse and I, the worm idea was still on my mind, kind of, in the background. And we used to get so many flyers and advertising advertising material come in the letterbox used to get heaps and i had a um stormwater drain drain pipe like a eight inch pipe so i cut a slot in that and then i started another worm farm in it and that was literally all out of the um pamphlets and everything and it was probably just a joke to see how far i could push these little wormies yeah so i had like a eight foot pipe and after a probably like four or five months, that pipe was full of worm castings again. So then I just started growing plants in that. Yeah, wow. I was playing around with that idea. But the plant, the plants weren't going too good because I think the um, worm poop was too strong for them. Yeah. So then I, um, I was sectioning areas off with like a bit of um, plastic, like that gutter guard material. I'd section an area off and I'd backfill it with just regular potting mix. So then the plants weren't freaking out, but they were still getting all their nutrients thanks to all the stuff around them. Yeah. So yeah, I was playing around with it. It's taken a while just to observe and see what happens. Yeah, I think the observation part is huge in terms of, you know, patience as well as, you know, obviously creating a product and getting to where you are now, but also the very early stages of just watching, you know, potentially watching plants grow or, you know, watching soil turn over. Uh, you would have yeah. spent a lot of time just thinking, hey. Yeah, just checking it out. Like, uh, I think my wife called me like the crazy scientist. <laughs> I was always coming up with stuff to muck around with just to see what happens. And in hindsight, it's probably like a good way to learn. You know what I mean? Get in and do it. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, they hear people saying, oh, you know, failure is really good and stuff, so they go out and fail things. I think going out and trying is the good part. And if you fail, make sure you just learn from it and not just give up. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm a bit bizarre. Like, I don't believe there's such a thing as failing. Mm. I don't know. It's, failing's pretty ultimate. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good like, outlook. Can you elaborate further? Well, like, if you, if you prototype something and you're hoping to succeed to a certain level... And then, you know, you've you've tried it and you haven't succeeded as high as you wanted. It's it's not really a failure. It's just a learning curve. So I don't know. I don't think failure exists. Yeah, like I think it only exists if you say to yourself you want to give up, which is like stopping. Yeah, and that's like. Like you said, I think I've only just really visualised then what learning curve is. It's like a constant line. If it's going up or down or around, 
And then, like you said, Correct. stopping is just like you just stop drawing a line on the graph. That's yeah. it. Stopping yeah. Is, yeah, stopping is like just giving up on yourself and saying, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's all good. It's exciting. So with, I guess, composting, obviously it's called composter. The, the process of composting in general, so this is like vermicomposting, um, yep. and then there's like, I guess, like patch composting, like in like you said, like in the backyard or whatever. Um, yep. Can you explain some of the do's and don'ts around this? I think a lot of people, like you said, there's lots of misinformation, there's lots of people freaking out over what to do right or wrong. What what are, what are the do's and don'ts with composting? Um, well, like you said, there's probably two types of composting, and the um, composting it's probably a bit more forgiving because mm. you've got these little buddies working for you 24 seven and um, cause they're resilient, whatever you throw in there, they're going to have a shot at it and try and compost it. So I think that's the benefit of using worms. And then there's other composting styles, which is like just, you know, one, one square meter pile. And the problem with that is you have to collect all your material to build that one cubic meter on that day. So you need your carbons and your um, nitrogens to build that pile in a day. You build it and then you have to forget about it until it breaks down into compost. And I think the problem with that is that most people have scraps pretty much every day. Mm. That's why they lean towards probably getting the worm farm because you're getting that green like your banana peels and everything else, your corn cobs, you're dumping that every day. So the worm farm's probably a bit more beneficial in that sense. But there's not really do's and don'ts. You just got to get in and have a shot at it and see what works for you. Mm. Like the compost worms are really forgiving. Pretty much, you just don't throw meat in there or anything. It's probably a bit gross. Yeah. And um, the pile composting in your backyard, that's good as well, as long as you have your ratios right of carbon and nitrogen. So you need a lot more carbon to help the composting process. And then you need all your green manures, which is your kitchen scraps and lawn clippings and stuff. So just get in and have a go. And then so what, it, what it creates is basically, does it just recreate a soil? Does it break down to like a... Is it do you call it soil or is it is it different to soil? Can be called a soil, but I always knew it as humus. Mm. And a humus is just like a super material. It's got great holding water holding capacities, and the cation exchange capacity is really good. But the main thing is um, you're supporting the microbial environment. And as we spoke about earlier, the microbes are what gives you soil health. So the compost, it's kind of like a superfood. It's not that super high in nutrients. It's just the microbes will just regenerate anything they touch. That's mainly why you're doing it. That's amazing. Like it's such a, you know, I think it's, I guess the thing that I am amazed about is that you can't see it happening. It just happens. You just have to, like you said, give it a go. Like it's not going to yeah. give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You're going to have to come back in X amount of days, weeks, months, and actually see what's happened or what's changed. Yeah, it's crazy, man, because it's working 24-7. While we're off playing and stuff, the little microbes are eating away, doing their job. That's what I think is so awesome about it. 
it wasn't long now, maybe three, four weeks ago, I thought, shit, I haven't like put much in here in a while or I haven't, um, I was, had pre- I was just preoccupied. I was still watering it and stuff. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, nothing's really happening. And then one night we're on the balcony and I was like, oh no, we'll put out, we'll put out, um, you know, whatever in there. And I was, I'll open the lid and there was a worm on the lid. Yeah. And it, he'd gone from like, you know, the size of my nail to like the size of my entire finger. And I was, yeah. I was just cheering. I was like, this is insane. Like they're still here. How good. Like, and then we were looking, great. Oh, like you said, little buddies. Yeah, I know. I get questions all the time. Like, there's no worms in my composter. And it's like, nah, go out at night time with a torch and just have a look down the middle because that's when they all come out. Mm. The sun. And there'll be like hundreds, if not thousands in there. It's pretty good. We did look up. We were like, oh, you know, are they are they drowning or are they why are they coming to the top because they're not enough food? And then, like, it's good to have a bit of reassurance there saying that they just come out at night because there's no sun. Yeah. And um, red wrigglers, which is what I use, they just naturally want to explore. The whole thing is to like spread out and explore. Mm. So that's why you'll get them on the lid. You'll get them coming up to the surface. When it rains, they want to go for a little holiday somewhere. Go for a swim. <laughs> that's pretty good. And you, you, I remember you saying to me, they kind of, um, they fit to the structure that they're built in. So like if you put them in there, they're not going to outgrow the composter. They'll only create... Or, you know, yeah. procreate until they don't need to. Yeah, they're pretty smart. Mm. They'll breed the colony up, how much space and how much food they have, which is really awesome. I've got composters that are still going and they're probably like five years old and haven't had to clean them out or anything, which is a bad thing. But you should clean them out after every year and a half, put some fresh potting mix in there. Yeah. They'll just go to see what happens. And they're still pretty happy in there. I was going to say, you wouldn't have any ones back from the, uh, when you hold the old uh, greenkeeping days, horticulturing days? No, they were very ugly to look at, those ones. <laughs> that was like just proving that the uh, theory works. Yeah. And that stuff was quite ugly. <laughs> I kept a couple of the early ones out of the roto molder. Yeah. They're pretty funny to look at. Oh, they're still, still around? Uh, I've got a couple of them, but the machine doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Because I had to move into the warehouse at Burley. Yeah. I couldn't fit the machine anywhere. What did you do with it? You sold it or dumped it or? Uh, it went to the recycler. Yeah. I kept um, I kept the aluminium moulds because they're really unique. Yeah. And they're awesome. Because um, that's what I built by hand. But the actual machine itself just went back to the recycler. I was gonna say, how many composts you'd have going at once? Now you'd have you'd have a hundred, wouldn't you? Me myself. Yeah, all around the house, like on the kitchen bench, on the bedside table. I think we've probably like got five or six of them. Yeah. I've got two in the warehouse. I've got one with indoor plants in it, with uh, ferns and stuff, and then I've got one with herbs that I take to the markets. And then at home, I think we've got five of them going. Yeah. Because I get nuts and I'll take one home and I'm like, man, I'm just going to grow the biggest tomatoes in this one. Yeah. It's like, oh no, not another one. Yeah, taking products off the shelves. Yeah, yeah. But um, we just get them frank and they're good fun. Yeah, uh, it's so cool to see them, how pretty they get as well with all the diverse plants that people put in them. And like, I've, I've just thrown whatever in there, a couple of geraniums for now. But some of the ones that you see online... And when you see them at Bunnings, even in the in the hallway out there at the uh, green section at Burley, 
It's amazing yep. what they can look like. You wouldn't even know it's there. It's kind of like the leaves overtake it. It's overgrown. Like a, it's like it's the centre of the forest. Yeah, correct. It's like a, um, it becomes like a living basket. Mm. That's all about it. And all the plants just cascade over the side of it. It's awesome. It's very, it's very unique and it's very, obviously it's very successful from, from where you are now. You know, what is your outlook on some products like the Bakashi, which uh, I guess... They're not si- they're not similar, but they're another way to I guess reduce food waste. Yeah, I think um, anything that gets people interested in composting their scraps mm. is a good thing. And um, the Bakashi seems pretty simple to use. Like you just put your stuff in there, tamper it down, and spray your uh, inoculant on it. Yeah, I mean that's pretty straightforward. So I think anything that gets people interested in composting and what's coming into their house and what's leaving their house is beneficial. Has that got you into thinking about other things in your life? I guess like your toothpaste or like, uh, I don't know, other, other items that get used, you know, quite single use wise. Has that changed any habits in your life? Um, it has totally. I can't do much about it now because I'm trying to buy a house. Mm. But it's more about where our energy comes from and I just can't wait to be able to put solar energy on. Yeah. Have battery and just draw my energy from there. And just the car you drive, I can't wait to get an electric car. Yeah. And hopefully on that battery at night time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, to me, it's just the way everything should be. And that's what excites me so much because now big industry is getting on board and all the car manufacturers are getting on board. And it's just awesome to see. It's very interesting the way that things may look in, say, 10 to 20 years compared to what they look like now. You know, little Charlotte will say to you, like, well, I can't believe you guys used to do this or drive yeah, this car or, you know, yeah. buy this it's product. Gonna be, it's going to be like talking to your grandparents and saying, oh, yeah, they catch the steam train into town. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they'll be probably catching their own drone. <laughs> Everyone's flying around the sky. It's even like, you know, we'd say... Probably in the future, you know, everyone had their own car. Everyone be like, "What? Like, I don't have a car. I don't need a car." Like, yeah, cars are going to be dinosaurs, man. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Like a big V eight. As much as I love them, they're just going to be a thing of the past. Yeah, which is, it's because they're so um, inefficient. Yeah, like they like twenty twenty five percent just through friction. <laughs> Whereas when they it hardly loses anything, man. And everything, everything's just going to go electric. Are you looking at Tesla, or is there someone else out there? Uh, Tesla would be nice. I've just got to save up my dollars. Mm. Trading a couple but, of composters. Yeah. <laughs> it's like kicking goals, man. When you start um, understanding what they're doing, like their, their chassis is all aluminium, and all the components that used to get welded onto a chassis they're now like injection molding the whole piece, just like a little kit car. It's got all the mounts, everything on it. All you got to do is put the shockies on it and the motor in the axles and you're done. Efficient. They're just, pardon? They're very efficient. Yeah, well, it's coming out of the mold with everything already in the molding, whereas in the past they used to have to weld all the mounts and everything on it. Whereas all those mounts and everything are included. It just rolls out, put the shockies on it, put the axles in, 
put the body on it, and off you go. That's amazing. I don't even I don't, I don't know much about them. I know they're very big and stuff, and people are getting into. Um, he's he's a very popular man, Mister Elon. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm like I've only got I would just I've always wanted a van. So I'm like until they get until they get a van, I'm like I don't say they got the they got the big truck, but um, I think before I go electric, I'll get a van, and then I'll have to go electric when when I can when I have the the um capacity and the capability to do that. I think. Yeah, well, it's not that far away. Mm. And the other, I think the main reason why our car manufacturers are getting into it, it's so much cheaper to manufacture an electric car. Because mm. the electric motor, it's only like 30, 40 centimetres across. Is that it? So, wow. Yeah. And they're just crazy powerful. So all you're doing is put an electric motor, like in this body. Whereas in the past, to build a petrol mm. engine, there is so many components, it's full on. And all that costs money. Yeah. An electric car is actually cheaper to manufacture. That's insane. I guess if you look under your bonnet, you'll just have a little box there, a little laptop. Yeah, it's tiny, man. But um, because they're flogging it as, like, saving the planet, they can charge a premium for it. Yeah. But all that will change. change like your old... I think it'll change for a good way, though, as well. Like... I think there has to be there has to be certain sacrifices for us to go in a certain direction if we're willing to make them. You know, like electric, you know, electric cars. You know, um, community living. Um, you know, less transport, changing yeah. our food choices. Um, if we if we want to stay here for the long haul, we're gonna to have to make some difficult decisions. Yeah, but they're also exciting. Yeah, I think so. They're all lifestyle choices, and they're good lifestyle choices. It's like. Someone's not asking you to go work in a coal mine to make money, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, yeah. You're in a safe environment, you're in a, a different warehouse, local to your house, and you get paid good and you you know, you know get a, a company car or whatever, you know, it's a, which is electric, and the, it, like you said, they might be able to sell a premium price, but they, they'll be able to provide the jobs that the community needs with that cash. Yeah. Correct. It, it all goes around. Now, I'm not going to ask you about a failure because we've already ex- explained that we're not necessarily believing in, in failures. But what, what's been the biggest success so far? Was it that first sale or is it where you're at now or something something little, little that happened to you? Um, I'll probably say it's where I'm at now mm. because um, you're just striving to be able to live off what you enjoy doing. And I've been doing that for a few years now. So I'm just like totally stoked where I am now and really happy and really content and really grateful. Like every day I come to work, I make a coffee and I'm like, how good is this man? Yeah. You know I mean? I'm just like 100% grateful. So I'd probably say now. That's amazing. That's, that's, that's good to hear as well. You know, a lot of people go, go through life doing their nine to five or doing whatever, not chasing their dreams. And this is kind of what this podcast is about, you know. I heard you before say kicking goals, and this is called cooking goals. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the cooks, and we're talking about your goals, and it's it's amazing to see that people can get there. You know, and have that have that feeling when they get up and they go, you know, I'm not I'm not bothered how busy today is going to be because I'm, I've like you said, you you're you're responsible for it. You put yourself in that position, and you just do it. Yeah, correct. And I think um, part of that is like enlightenment. People. People, if they want to go down that path, they just need to sit back and think what they actually want. Because so many people just get stuck in working the nine to five and they never question it. Mm. 
and then like 20 years later they're like oh wow i'm not happy it's like you just need to you know have a coffee make a cup of tea and just work out what really makes you happy in your heart and then see if you can turn that into a career and then you'll wake up and you won't be stressed going to work you'll be loving going to work looking forward to that you'll be looking forward to that coffee every morning like can't wait to get there make that like yeah totally i love driving to work i can't believe it yeah I love driving to work, opening the front door and making a coffee. It's like, how good is this? Do you ever get, um, I think there's, there's lots of literature out there, oh, not even literature, just, you know, discussions about how people are working so much these days and working too hard or, or overworking and how it's kind of been glorified. Do you ever think, you, because you're, you're the one-man show, do you ever feel like you're getting, you creep into that area of working too much? Um, no, not at all. Mm. No. I don't know, um, kind of my, my life and my stress levels are a priority. Mm. And if something's going to challenge me and stress me, I'll stretch it out over a few days so I can get my head around it and I'll nibble away at it instead of feeling that I'm bombarded with a stressful situation. Mm. So nothing much really stresses me anymore. That's amazing. There must be something really good in your coffee, I reckon, as well. I have to come get one of those. Yeah, totally, man. I think, I don't know, like when you have gratitude and if you can manifest that stuff, you just, you're unstoppable. So it takes something really full on to like knock my, knock me off my perch. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think people who have a, a bit more appreciation for what they are in and, and what they're doing, um, like you said, being grateful and grat- expressing gratitude, it's a lot of it's in a lot of those books um, talking about you know morning routines and stuff and diarising what you're grateful for and, and things like that is very beneficial for not only your health but to realise where you are and what you're doing and to be a bit more present and yeah yeah put you in the right mindset. There was a guy I had on. Sorry, you go. You don't want to be coming to work like thinking poor me, poor me. This is so tough. You're gonna to have a bad day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if you can rock up. Feeling gratitude, you'll just love the day. 100%. I think, like, I I try to get up every day and go to the beach and sit there and read and stuff and just, I always say to people, you know, you got to appreciate where you are. Like, you know, the Gold Coast is a very unique place, you know. A lot of people want to be here and we're already here, so, you know, take take it while you can. Yeah, it's awesome. There was something I was going to say there. I've, I've just lost, oh, um... No, hopefully it can't. It'll it'll come back. Um, so what what is next for for Composter at the moment? Um, probably just up upscaling a bit. Um, working more with the fulfillment agency to be able to pump them out more throughout Australia, mm. and then lining up the overseas shipment as well, which doesn't stress me. It excites me. And the fulfillment, is that the people up in Brisbane you were talking about or is that someone else? Um, be the people in Brisbane. But when you're talking overseas, you're talking port authorities and stuff. And then once it gets to the other country, who's going to take care of it? So I'm just working on all that at the moment. Yeah, I think I'm actually I'm thinking back to something I've read or watched um, previously. It talks about how there's like a checkpoint at each point. It's like, all right, it leaves Burley, it goes to here, it goes into the hands of Jono. Jono sends it on the boat to Sammy and, you know, then eventually it gets to the customer. Like, how many hands it goes through before it's at yeah. the, on their balcony? 
Correct. And all those people, you have to be able to trust them. Because they, they actually become part of your business. So you can, you can tell people how great you are, but if it doesn't get delivered properly, it's not worth anything. So that's the struggle that I'm... It's not a struggle. That's what I've got to investigate. Is like the best companies to use. Yeah, and like you said, I was going to say... I was, I was going to question you there. You may have said a struggle or a stress, but it's an exciting thing. It's like it's an opportunity. Yeah. Like face it and be like, all right, what can we do here? Yeah, that's the next thing I've got to figure out. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah, it's good. So you did mention that you do have some other ideas in, in the bank for compost. So is there anything outside of compost that's you know potentially grabbing your interest, or you're solely focused on? Um, uh, you know, obviously you said you had those four other ideas earlier in the in the comp, uh, podcast, but um, do you still have things coming back to you left, right and centre? Um, i got a little thing that I'm working on. Probably let the cat out of the bag, but that's cool. Because mm. um, I want to do something with reclaimed plastic from the ocean. Mm. And I think that stuff has a story to tell. Yeah. In a, a way. And instead of having it as trash, I actually wanted to turn it into something that people will cherish. So then it got me thinking, what do people actually cherish that they could use every day? So I've got a design happening for like a man's wallet and also um, some women's handbags and stuff. Because I don't know, when, when you could say like this came from the barrier reef or whatever, got a story to tell yeah and you could be proud of it when you're buying it you know what i mean yeah there's an um, part of an emotion there they're doing something good they're they're saving something there yeah and plastic's got a um it's getting a bad rap but if you could turn it into something nice and something that people cherish i think that would be a good thing well that's like the compost though you first told me said oh it's made out of um like the mold which is a a hypoxy type you know hard plastic type of uh you obviously you'd explain it better but it's like yes it's plastic but it's you know it's saving you know 10 years worth 20 years worth of food waste it's housing worms like it can be reused for you know just to hold your shoes if it breaks or whatever you know like it's not just a it's not going to be piled up in landfill no no doubt no and um it's polypropylene so you could use it for 30 40 50 years and then when you're tired of it that plastic can get reground and turned into something else. Mm. That's what's so amazing about plastic. Mm. It's like, that's awesome, man. There's not many materials that can do that. And um, I just have people question me and say, why don't you make a terracotta one? Oh, man. And people think like terracotta and clay is natural. But once you've fired it and glazed it and turned it into something, it can never be turned into something else again. That's it. If you smash That's it, it's going to be in those million pieces forever. Correct. So, like, they're still digging out pottery from, you know, when Jesus was walking around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's right. Not totally, it's not environmentally friendly. It's just, it's a waste of time because you can't reuse it again. Yeah. Whereas plastic is smashing it in that context because you can just keep chopping it up and reusing it. And so is there problems there with, like, I guess... I would say probably they should pr- really try and stop the, the, the manufacture of virgin plastic, shouldn't they? Like, is that already that much there to reuse and reduce things, isn't there? Yeah, totally. But um, 
as far as I'm aware, like the reclaimed plastic and the recycled plastic, the quality just isn't there yet. Mm. And I'm not sure if that's because people aren't like cleaning their milk bottles or whatever and separating it. Because um, a lot of the manufacturers don't want to use recycled plastic at the moment. So it's probably waiting for a company to step up and grade all that plastic and clean it. And then we can just keep reusing it. You think, you think though, like, obviously, you, you, you probably speak to this, but, like, if you melt it all down, like, your food microbes and your food waste or a bit of cheese and that, it's not going to be there. It's going to be gone. Like, is that yeah. right? Or? The thing is, you're actually using low temperature. Like, it's only melting at, like, 150 to 180. Mm. It's not that hot. But I think the more problem is if it's got, like, a piece of broken glass in it or something, that's just going to get stuck in the machine. Yeah. It's just going to take a company that'll wash the plastic and then um, grind it to a particle size and then probably sieve it so it's all uniform. Yeah. And everyone can use it. You can build anything, man. You can build bloody house with it, probably. Yeah, totally. They're already doing it. Mm. It's pretty. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, like from you know, your water bottle down to a house. Once they get into more plant place plastics that'll be awesome yeah isn't the isn't your one uh, uh a plant-based one not at the moment not at the moment yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's still very chemical but yeah there's, there's a transition period yeah of course yeah definitely you can't like you said you know these things don't happen overnight as well like you a lot of people have the idea they're great for change and stuff and they go and you know for example like your wallet and stuff and it can't just happen straight away first you got to collect the plastic you got to you know, put it in the right position and, um, yep. you know, manufacture all those types of things. Um, yeah. The thing with plastic, it needs to be more expensive and then people will um, respect it more. Yeah, they'll value it. They'll put value into it. It's like food. It's like people don't value because um, they can just buy another one or throw it out. Like. Yeah, totally. Like food, like not your basic foods, but some food should be more expensive than what it is. Like the farmers are saying they're struggling. They should be able to charge what they want. And the people meet the market. Yeah, might mean you're only eating T-bone. I don't know once a fortnight. Yeah, instead of a day. You know what I mean? Well, even milk. I can't believe that milk's like a dollar, like two dollars, right? And like they. Yeah, when they said they put it at like ten cents, I was like, "Are you kidding? It should be like be put up at least like another two hundred percent or whatever." You know, I don't know how much. Like four bucks for a thing of milk. You, you're gonna if, if that was like um, you know widespread change everyone yeah. would still buy milk because they just drink milk. Yeah, and then um, that will kick on, like, wage growth. Because people are like, man, I need more wages to be able to survive. You know what I mean? Yeah, milk and bread's gone up $2. I need, need you know, need some wage. Yeah. It'll just push everything up. In a good way as well, you know, the farmers will get fed, you know, they'll be able to produce more, we'll have enough, yeah. you know, like, an extra $2 a week or whatever to buy an the same amount of milk, you know, obviously not for everyone. There's, I know, I understand there's different communities out there and different, you know, different incomes. But on the larger scheme of things, milk, bread, butter, basic foods are very cheap. Yeah, correct. It's like if you go down the um, shopping centre, you can buy a T-shirt for six bucks. It's like, how can that possibly be? Yeah. Like someone, someone's missing out somewhere, you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of having... Instead of having 40 t-shirts, we should be buying t-shirts that are probably 
45 $50 each, which is the proper price, and you just got 10 t-shirts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll just move out of home, so I'm doing all my own washing now, and I'm like, I haven't even gone through everything, and I've been here a month, and it's like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. a big clean out. Yeah, that's good. You don't need that much, man. Nah, no way. I say that about my day. Pardon? Pardon? No, I was gonna say, I say that about my day. Like I need I need to do a bit of work, a coffee, read a book, and spend time with my you know, my friends and some exercise. That's all I need in a day. Like I don't need a lot. Yeah, but that's awesome, dude. A lot of people that's don't realise that, eh? That's what most people are striving for. And they wonder why they can't get it. It just takes a bit of planning. Yeah. Time management, I'm not the greatest at that to fit it all in, but we'll get there one day. Yeah, totally, man. Seems good. So how would you go meeting Costa? You know, I, I don't really know much about him, and I'm not really, like, I've never really watched the show. I've just seen bits and pieces, and he, obviously he's quite a popular man in terms of the Australian scene, but, like, for him to give you such a rap like that and to have it on film is amazing. So how would you go meeting him? What was that like? Um, I was just lucky. Um, I was in the right place at the right time, and you eventually just get to meet him, but he's a really cool dude. I've never met someone that's got so much energy. And it's just so passionate, it's like addictive. Mm. We do a um, we do an Ambor show, and we're in a little kitchen garden there. And he usually turns up, does a walk around, talk, and just to listen to him talk, he's so passionate. Everyone's walking away from that experience like high as a kite. Yeah, and that's what I love about him. Like he's a cool dude. He's good. I get that from doing these things. I walk. I get out of these usually at like six, seven o'clock, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm not going to bed tonight." I'm so motivated from talking to that person, you know. Um, yeah, but that's awesome, man. He's um. So what is he just? Would, did he just have the garden show? Is that what he's obviously he, a huge background now? Is that where he came from? Where Costa came from? Yeah. I think he started off in like SBS. He had a little gardening show there. Yeah. And then you got the call up for um, ABC, and then he was he was heading. ABC gardening, and it's just a perfect fit because he's so excited and stuff all the time. Yeah, dream, dream role for him, eh? especially, you know, for him and that energy, like you said, that can be transferred to the community, to people like you and myself or to others who aren't really interested in gardening, how good. Yeah. Like you see him when I'm hanging out with him at um, expos and stuff and he's talking to little kids and they just love him because he's just like so excited and passionate you could not you know be negative towards that it's awesome. yeah you can, and you can't replicate him either you know like he, he's he'll be one to stay around for a long time i'm sure yeah and it's pretty cool to take a like, leaf out of his book like if you want someone to get if you want someone to get excited about something you're doing just like be over the top and they'll get attracted to it yeah it's like you infectious pardon it's like infectious yeah, correct. Yeah. It's just the vibe. It's the vibe he's putting out, man. It's like way up there. Now, what's up in your world outside of composter? I, obviously, it would take up a lot of your time, and but I know you have a family and things. Is there anything else going out, going on outside your your life at the moment outside of composter? Um, just pretty much raising my daughter, doing the best I can with her. Mm. And um, like I've been a dad for nearly five years now. So that's been a learning curve and just trying to improve myself as a person. Because once you start realising like what you're putting out there for other people, you have to be in check with who you are. 
So I kind of I work on that when I'm not doing composter and just try and be the best person I can for my daughter and other people that are around me. And I love sailing. I'm lucky enough to go sailing like once a week, racing. Oh, wow. Up in the broad water, which is pretty crazy because you think, oh, sometimes I don't want to go. But then once you're up there in the water and you're watching the sunset, it's like, man, this is amazing. It's awesome. Mm. So just stuff like that, and it really fills me up. I'm just going occasionally surfing and swimming, all the good stuff. Oh, like a, a little water baby. Yeah, pretty much. Love the water. I don't know, it just blows my mind. Just walking along Burley Beach in the morning, you know what I mean? Get your feet wet. It's good enough. Oh, definitely, yeah. Even with, I went for a swim last week in, on a Monday, and I was like, gee... This sand is like ice on my feet, but the water is just so like rejuvenating. Like, yeah, even if it's cold, man, it's still good for you. Yeah, get your blood flowing. That's awesome to hear. That still, still hear that you know, obviously get outside and and do activities as well, especially spending time with your daughter. Because a lot of people who get in, into the startup world or into their own business, I would, I would still say you're probably, yeah, I would say you're outside the startup phase. But you know, they get caught up in so much you know trying to be the next best thing and then they forget about what everything else they used to do what they used to have yeah i think that comes down to management like you should you should write down what hours you want to work a day on your thing and like set an alarm get up have quality hours working on your thing and say if you want to finish at three thirty, four o'clock five o'clock you switch off and you walk away from what you're thinking about mm. and whether it's a 10 minute car ride or whatever and you just leave your work back at work because i know a lot of people when they're trying to start businesses they're still working on it like 11 o'clock at night 12 o'clock at night and it's like man that's not quality of life so i think it's a good guide to set the hours you want to work and if you need help during those eight hours or whatever get help but I think it's important to be able to walk out the door at four o'clock and forget about it and change your think about something else because mm. it just becomes too much. And you start having sleepless nights and you get grumpy and cranky. It's like, man, just walk away from it at four o'clock and then get stuck into it again tomorrow. Yeah, and then you've also got the other components of your life, you know, like you said, sailing and surfing, swimming, you know, Charlotte, your wife, like it's not, it's not just... Like, Brad's not defined as composter either. Yeah, correct. Like, my business, it's probably only, like, I don't know, 30% of my life. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. You want the rest of your life to bloom as well. I might take a, a, a leaf out of your book as well, I think, after that. That's really that's a really good outlook. Yeah. You're working really hard at the moment. It's going to pay dividends, you know, in the next couple of years. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's really nice. Yeah. I, I just did remember what I was going to say is when was I, we're talking about gratification and appreciation and this is how, how I got to this question. Um, a few weeks ago, I had another com, uh, another composter, another um, a guest on and I said, this is my very last question that I asked, you know, what's an ideal day for you? You know, you can be snowboarding, skiing, spending time with family, whatever. And he described his day and I'm, I said, well, you pretty, like from this last an hour and a half of talking, you're already doing that. And he was like mind blown. He was like, wow, you've just like changed my perspective. Yeah, and so crazy. it's really cool to hear that you say that obviously appreciation is a big part of your life because you've got so much things to appreciate as well and be grateful for. 
But yeah. what is an ideal day for Brad Travis? So, you know, you can be up in Italy drinking wine or you can be down in the Alps. You know, what would you be doing? Um, I love sailing. So anything sailing would be awesome. But I think I'm really, I'm easily pleased. Like I'm happy. An ideal day is coming to work. You do a few hours work. You might finish at 12 o'clock and then just spend the rest of the day with family, the day with Charlotte. And that's when I zone out and I forget about work. Which can't be in two places at once. So that would be perfect. And I'm lucky because I'm doing that, you know, a few times a week. So I don't know how I could get any better than that. Throw, throw a couple of copies in there, I think. Yeah. Include those. I think if I, I, think if I was travelling to a, um, a block of land where I was building my own little house off the grid, that would blow my mind. That would be awesome. That's, a, that's amazing. Like you said, you know, keeping it simple. You know, family, a bit of sailing, a bit of work, and, uh, you know, a bit of hands-on activity. What else, could you, what else could you ask for? That's it. Like, I, yeah, I, get, I feel so happy when I'm chipping the pots out, you know what I mean? Everyone's a blessing. So I don't think it gets much better than that. Do you, uh, would you like a little house off the grid there like that? I think it's a pretty cool idea for, I think a lot of people have that, they grow up and they learn about farm animals and they go, oh, this would be cool to do this, you know? Yeah, totally. I want to build a little house, like a little two-bedroom house, but off the grid from the start. I don't want to retrofit a house. Mm. But I think a lot of houses, when they're built, all the builder cares about is, like, giving giving the customer a house, turnkey, and all the electricity is connected to the mains power and everything. They didn't put enough thought into it. Mm. And even your water supply and sewerage and everything, whereas that stuff really interests me. Having a house that's not connected to any of the utilities. You've designed it and built it yourself. Yeah, you got to design it from the start, not retrofit something. And that comes back to what you're saying before about you know, rather than just banging something out in a week, it's taking three to four days, nice and slow, working slow. All right, where does the water come? Where does it rain from? All right, we need to yeah. put this here. Like, where does the um what type of materials do we want? Is it hot out here or is it cold? Like, yeah, um, exactly, man. And like the, the modern house, they don't think of any of that. They probably do to a certain degree. But if you've got a block of land, you go, yeah, yeah, I'll have house number 162 design and they'll just go build it on the block. And nothing's actually taken into consideration. Yeah, nothing works how it's supposed to in the model because it's not modelled for that block. <laughs> Correct. And then you're spending the rest of your life paying electricity bills for air conditioning or heating, whereas you could have designed it better at the start. I really love watching those shows of like, you know, My House, New Zealand or whatever, and it's just like, uh, it's, like it's like three years worth of footage of some dude and his wife building a house, you know, and like, nice. yeah, the final product is just insane. It's so cool to see. Yeah, builders could, you know, take a leaf out of that book, probably have a few different designs for different aspects. You go right out south facing, you need this design. So you just sell on your a regular house. You stand at Bridgestones or whatever it is, yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. tires, but I don't know what the other one's called. Uh, Brighton, Brighton. Yeah, you got a few of them. Well, that's it, Brad. I really do appreciate your your, your time this evening. I'll, I'll I'll um I'll press stop in a moment, but I'll get you to stay on for a bit. Um, I, yeah. once again, thanks again for coming on. It's been a great conversation, just hanging out and talking. It would have been good if I had my coffee still to have a brew with you. 
Uh, but yeah. I have to have one in person. Yeah, totally. We'll have to catch up for a coffee one morning. I'd love it. I'm always down there on the Esplanade as well in the morning, so. Yeah, yeah. Just give me a text or a call. What's, on, up. what's on for the rest of the evening? Bit of dinner? Yeah, go home. Have a bit of a cook-up. Chill out. Have a nice hot bath. Oh, yum. I'd love a bath. That'd be so nice. Yeah, I know. It's been getting pretty cold lately. Yeah, for the Gold Coast. It's like, you see me now, I'm in my dressing gown. I get, um, I get a few funny looks from my colleagues down in Melbourne, but um, I think it's Great. cold. Yeah. Sweet ties too. Yeah. We used to walking around in shorts and a singlet. Now yeah. we think this is freezing. Yeah, that's right. It's all good. It's lovely. The okay. chat's been good, dude. Thanks for inviting me. No, no worries. I can't wait to... Um, My compost is at my mum's house. It's been the one yep. thing... It's the last thing that I need to get to bring everything back down to this little place in Miami. But I've, I've got the idea where it's going to go and where it's going to sit and stuff, so I can't wait. Yeah, awesome, dude. Good luck with it. Thanks, Brad. To finish off, as always, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it as this is a passion of mine. Don't forget to leave a review. It helps other people find the show. And please share this episode on your social media or tell a friend to continue spreading the message of cooking goals. You can sign up to our weekly email by clicking the link in the description of this episode and follow our Instagram at the Cooks Community. Until next time, remember to breathe.